Well, it's good uh, to be here tonight. I know we're conscious of it's cooler at the back at the front. So, you, I, do you know, if, is it presumptuous that I should say feel like I'm the Apostle Paul when he preached and Eutychus went to sleep and fell out of the window? Now, it, preachers can put people asleep, but the challenge is to wake them up again is the, and right. We've got a psalm and uh, we're going to look at this. Uh, together, uh, I want to use uh, an, an illustration by way of introduction to Psalm 107. To think about it like this, um, I wonder if uh, you are like me that from time to time, for no reason, this is entirely random, that uh, a tune comes into your mind. Do you get that? And you think, where on earth did that come from? And it may have been a very long time ago. And when it's there, the more you try to get rid of it, the more it stays with you. Well, when I was preparing this, I had one of these experiences. It's not terribly spiritual. In fact, it's not spiritual at all. Um, it, this is a song by Frank Sinatra. Uh, and the, I'll come to the reason that this came to me. Uh, I wonder how many... Now, be honest now. Don't pretend. Uh, how many of you know this song, I'm coming home, I've done my time? Um, hands up, let's have a look. Yeah, the oldies, yeah. None, none of you, you... Yvonne, you're nodding. You No? No. No, you're far too spiritual to have a song like that. Right. Well, let me read you the song. I won't sing it. It's a great song. Sinatra sings it much better. He, he sings like this. I'm coming home, I've done my time. Now I've got to know what is and isn't mine. Oh, by the way, this is a letter in a song that's written by a prisoner who's coming home and he's thinking his long-suffering wife or girlfriend, we're not sure, is she still going to have him, love him, accept him? And he genuinely doesn't know. And he's in the horns of a dilemma. And he comes out in this song. If you receive this letter telling you I'll soon be free, then you'll know just what to do if you still and it says it again, if you still want me. And you too. And he says to his girlfriend, wife, I want you to tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree, that place where we used to go, where we were courting. Yeah, is it coming back a bit? Yeah, you're, you've got it now, haven't you? It took a long time for the penny to drop. Okay. Um, and uh, that's what happens. And... Uh, Oh, by the way, he says this. Uh, if I don't see a ribbon round the old oak tree, I'll stay on the bus, forget about us, set the blame on me. That's the essence of the song. And uh, so he writes this. Now he's been set free from uh, his imprisonment, and he's on the bus. And uh, he says in the course of this song, uh, Bus driver, please... Look for me as the bus is coming round the bend and the old oak tree is there as is returning home. And he says, bus driver, look for me because I couldn't bear to see what I might see. And this song captures the sense of apprehension. Okay. It's a great song. You, it, it actually is in that um, uh, um, film, Wallace and Gromit, The Wrong Trousers. Did, did you know that? Yeah, yeah, okay. Right, we'll come back to this. So he says, bus driver, please look for me, because I couldn't bear what I might see. Now he says, there's a, a, a word that you wouldn't use in church. Uh, the whole bus, uh, what does it say? Yeah, the whole bus is cheering. I can't believe what I see. And then the song comes to a great climax. 
a hundred yellow ribbons round the old oak tree. And it's a wonderful picture of forgiveness on a human level. If you like, it's a horizontal forgiveness. He, he knows that he, he doesn't deserve the loyalty of this uh, girlfriend or wife. But he appeals to her because he's messed up. And he's done things again and again and again. And so when I was thinking about this psalm, it's exactly that. These people, it's a collective thing, of course. Uh, it's a bit of a history on the, the, the children of Israel, how from time to time they have really messed up. And they come to this persuasion repeatedly, I don't deserve this. And yet out of their absolute sense of urgency and despair, they cry out. They cry out. Well, if that uh, song is on a personal level, Psalm 170 is very much in a collective sense. It's a good example, if you like, of community or communal thanksgiving. There are a series of fours here, and I'm going to run through these very quickly. Honestly, I will. Um, uh, of community thanksgiving. See what you, how you can connect with these. Uh, so let's go very quickly then. Four types of trouble. I did change the heading when Neil said to me, the heading is God's love meets us in our heart. So I've changed it so that God's love meets us in our hearts, and there are many. And clearly, a lot of them uh, come out uh, in, in, this, in this psalm. So let's get into it very quickly then. Four types of trouble. Verses 4 to 9. Now, I just, we'll just comment briefly and subjectively on these, okay? Hunger, thirst, and homelessness. That's the first thing that resonates with them. And I'm thinking, okay, let's try, let me, is, I'm, is, if I'm looking in a mirror and I think, have I ever really, really been hungry? I don't think so. I'm trying to think about this, and I can remember coming home from school and saying to my mother, Mom, I'm starving. So she'd say, eat some bread. And I'd say, no, I'm starving. Well, then you're not starving. Not starving enough to real hunger. And thirst, what do we know about being really, really thirsty? I, I couldn't help but think about uh, Hannah's nephew in Northern Ireland who, who was an alcoholic and to have deep, insatiable thirst for the wrong thing. It's a very powerful thing. And homelessness. I, I wouldn't know about that. Now, I don't know how this would register with you. These are the first out of these four uh, series of troubles. I remember in this church when, years ago, when the Wycliffe Voluntary Works was called the Volleys, there was this girl from Finland. And the nearest I could get to this was, she was a lovely girl. And uh, the hymn before the sermon was to the tune, Finlandia, Be Still My Soul. And the girl was over with floods of tears and I thought whatever is her problem so at the door I said to her you were obviously very upset it wasn't something I said because I hadn't said anything she said I'm terribly homesick and that's our national anthem homelessness there, is there any cure for deep homesickness well these are a list of the first. Now let's go to the second ones, 10 to 16. Imprisonment and forced labor. Well, how far away from us is that? 
And yet, let me again give an account. Um, my, my father, on his 90th birthday, was interviewed by the local television. He, where he'd lived all his life was in this very, uh, within a radius of two miles, and they wanted to interview characters because the steelworks was closed and life had changed and so forth. And in the course of the interview on television, local television, they asked him a question, which us, my brothers and I had no idea, and it was this. Why were you a conscientious objector? All his life, he'd never ever talked about it. And what came out was, and the point here is imprisonment and forced labor, was what my father experienced. That in these close-knit communities, he had two brothers going into the war, and he said, I will not take up arms. I will not. I'll carry a stretcher, I'll do this, but I won't take up arms. So he's isolated in the family, vilified in the community, criticized among people even in the church. So in a way we can think about these things, they're terribly abstract, but isn't that something? It took 90 years for him to talk about it. And there are some things, you know, when we think about troubles, they're so deep, so profound that somehow maybe we consciously bury them. The trouble with emotions like that is we always bury them alive, don't we? And they will surface. My father worked in a chain gang and had to go to the police station and stay overnight. Not a great imprisonment, but enough to um, shock him. Verses 17 to 22, what do you make of this? Life-threatening illness. Now we can all, well, sorry, not all. I guess 60% of us maybe could identify with this life-threatening illness. And as we're living longer, so we might experience something of the frailty of, uh, of our body. And then the last one, this is so, so remote to us here, I suspect. Dangers at sea. Look at verses um, uh, 23 to 32. And yet, you know, I was watching the television, just thinking about this. Dangers at sea. Think of the people who risk life and limb to cross the sea, the Im- immigrants, and know that some of their friends have perished in the sea. What a different way of reading that if we were... Uh, Displaced people like millions have been. More displaced people in our day than since the Second World War. And people at great risk, danger. So some of these things don't apply to all of us. But yet when we think about them, God's love meets us in our needs. Those are just some examples. And all these troubles are like, uh, if you like, they're life-threatening they unsettle us. We are ill at ease and we, 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 we wonder what's going on. What is God saying to, to me or to us? And together they convey human life at its most vulnerable. Now that isn't intended to make us feel afraid, but you know, we are very frail and fragile people at best. Vulnerable. And some of these experiences, okay, have happened to individuals, but sometimes they've happened to people collectively. Uh, let me give an illustration of this. As you know, when we left Longcrenu in Jersey for nearly two years, and on two occasions, uh, we attended uh, the liberation service of uh, the Channel Islands. 
and uh, we attend Liberation Square. If ever you get a chance to go to Jersey, see it. It's very moving. Um, as you may know, oh, by the way, if you want to see a good film, the potato peeling something. Oh, yes, you like it. You've read the book, haven't you? See the film. It's good. Uh, that's in Guernsey. Uh, but this is, they were occupied by, by the, the Germans throughout the whole war period. And they had a terrible time. Uh, many people lost their lives. One leading churchman refused to give up his, his wireless, as they called it then, and was sent to Auschwitz, and he was never seen again. So this isn't a, a good place to be. But every year uh, in Jersey and in the Channel Islands, in Liberation Square, they enact the liberation of the British forces and the, and the Navy coming and uh, to uh, the Germans had surrendered. There's the lowering, and the, it's filmed, the original, the, the lowering of the swastika, the raising of the Union Jack, and a great sense of celebration. Great sense of celebration. So what I'm saying is that there are some times when things are best shared communally. Ours is a culture of individualism. And it's deeply humbling to think that here is a people who together have experienced the liberation of God, that they've come through their own foolishness under the yoke of sinfulness and oppression, liberation following the German occupation. Now then, let's look at a few verses. Verse 11, 12, and 17. And this gives us a bit of a, bit of a clue. Let's have a look at these. For they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them in this distress and brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. And then you have in verse 17, some of them, some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities and lost appetite and lost the motivation of life. Then they cried to the Lord their God in their trouble and so on and so forth. And it gives us a bit of a clue about the cause of their troubles. Now, not everything is cause and effect. We've got to be careful about that. But it does give you a clue here that in their rebellion and their refusal to listen to the Lord, they fell into difficulties. And that gives us a clue of these troubles. It is then, if you like, what's the application of that? Simply, whether it's personally or collectively, a reminder of the seriousness of sin of being rebellious. Let's try to um, apply this personally for a moment. Um, Everybody has read something of C.S. Lewis. The man was a genius, wasn't he? And uh, in his book, The Problem of Pain, and this is a good commentary on the whole of the psalm, this is what he says. He's talking about himself, right? It's like what's called a soliloquy. He's talking out loud about himself. And he says like this. Here I am. I'm progressing along the path of life in my ordinary, contentedly fallen, godless condition. Absorbed in a merry meeting with my friends for tomorrow, a bit of work that tickles my vanity today. A holiday, a new book, or something I fancy. When suddenly a stab of abdominal pain threatens 
serious disease or a headline in the newspaper threatens us all with destruction, it sends the whole pack of cards tumbling down. At first, I'm overwhelmed. And all my little happinesses look like broken hearts. Slowly and reluctantly, bit by bit, I try to bring myself into that frame of mind that I should be in at all times. I remind myself that all these toys were never intended to possess my heart, that my true good is Fellow believers, let's remember this, is in another world and my only real treasure is Christ. And perhaps, perhaps, by God's grace, I succeed and for a day or two become a creature consciously dependent on God and drawing its strength from the right source. But, and isn't there always a but? But, the moment the threat is withdrawn, my whole nature leaps back to the toys. That is a very telling comment on Psalm 107, except it is in that collective sense that we tend to uh, leave away and wander from the God we love. So what you have then, very quickly, is four types of prayer. Look, verse 6, 13, 19, and 28. They should come up. There you are. They're there in front of you. Uh, four types of prayer. So we looked at four types of trouble, four types of prayer. And the interesting thing about this, and I hope that it will give uh, encouragement to us who pray, there is a legitimate repetition in prayer. I'm not talking about vain repetition, but I don't know if you struggle by praying for the same things. Well, keep praying. Keep asking, because that's what comes through in all of these. They're almost identical. The people knew they were in trouble, and they knew whom they were to cry out to, to the Lord. And they, they had a genuine sense that there would be divine deliverance. Now, this is important when we are in trouble. Too often, we don't realize it, or, realize it, or we, we won't admit it. And isn't there a tendency that we'll go to anyone and everyone but to the Lord? That's, that's Psalm 107. And God's people are to exercise their faith in, in, in cries. And each time it says, with, with simplicity and with sincerity. Um, is there a place, we're not talking about whinging, but a place for lament, a, a spirit-filled lament. Um, my neighbor said to me last Friday that she'd just come back from the theater and she'd been to see um, a play that's going through the, the, the country at the moment. Uh, and I said, what, what, what was it? And she said to me, revolting women. Now, if I didn't know, it was commemorating a hundred years of the suffragettes. See, yeah, they were in revolt, weren't they? And they had a lot to revolt about. And in a way, you've got, instead of revolt, then we can say uh, to lament. And there, there's a place, perhaps we, maybe we complain too much, we don't lament enough. 
What, what do we mean by a lament? Let's have a, try to have a quick look at this and then we'll move to the conclusion. Laments, and as you find them in Psalm 107, are quite frankly authentic expressions of faith which are honest, really honest, in describing life as it is often experienced. Not pretending life as we would like it to be, but life as it is with all the raw emotion that that entails. What's it like oftentimes? Hard, lonely, hurtful, charged with anger. A lament is defined like this, and it finds its expression in Psalm 107. It is, and just hear me well with this, because we'll round it off in a moment. It's a remarkable combination, right, of honesty and dialogue. Honesty in seeing me or my situation as it is, not how I would like it to be, and dialogue, talking honestly. Frequently, think about this, we are honest, but unable to be dialogical. We are unable to talk. Or conversely, we are politely dialogical, but unable to be honest. And what you have here is, and this psalm is just shot through with honesty. We've messed up again, and we're just asking God. We know that we should know better, but we're asking God. The lament is, of course, both honest and dialogical. And we need to do that, and this psalm captures that. Right, let's conclude. Four, we've looked at four types of trouble as, he, as it unfolds in the psalm, four types of prayer, and now finally four expressions of praise. There it is, four expressions of praise. And look, there they are. They tumble out, uh, verse 8, 15, 21, and 31. And you can uh, look those up for yourself. So there are four expressions of praise. So let's ask a question. Why should we praise the Lord? Now, clearly it's more than singing songs and hymns. It is that, but much more. Well, I don't lo- I'm not looking for a profound answer. Why should we? We thank him because of his steadfast love. And that is surely the bottom line in the psalm. His love never fails. Paul takes it up in 1 Corinthians 13 and he echoes that. His love never fails. It just doesn't. Steadfast love, chesed, faithfulness, covenant love. It will not be broken. It's it's loyal love. It's a relationship that will not be broken. So let me conclude with two things, lest perhaps we might misunderstand the point of the psalm. He makes it clear for us in two ways. The first, in most of these sections, when he describes those who have been saved, those who are the covenant people of God, who've entered into relationship, he says, quote, let them. It's a, it's a charge almost. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds to men and women. Let them do that. And you have it there, don't you, in 8, 15, 21, 31. Let them do it. That's it. That's enough. 
And, that, and, and in a way, yes, it's warm, and yes, it's going to be warmer tomorrow, and yes, there's difficulties, and there's all sorts of issues, and God's love meets us in our hearts. But look, take that with you. It is prescription of the people of God. Let them give thanks unfailing love to men and women. And the second and the last thing that we have here is this. You notice that the opening, it's a psalm, if you like, it's top and tailed, isn't it? The opening of the psalm reminds us that God is good. You know, when, I'm going to digress a little now, just very quickly, when Han and I went with the woods to rural Tanzania, I, I was so humbled. Rural Tanzania is exceedingly poor. It is grinding poverty in the rural places and in church and in school they always start the teacher or the pastor will will with the class say will say this god is good all the time and they reply all the time god is good and i found myself thinking if they can say that surely the whole world should say it but you know we are spoiled people in the west don't we God is good all the time. Yes, all the time, for sure. All the time, God is good. And lastly, the opening and the closing of the psalm. It's a little sort of PS, little extra. Whoever is wise, doesn't say whoever's clever. Whoever's wise, let them heed these things and consider. Just think about the great love of the Lord. So three final questions to ask. Here we are tonight, and it's, it's, isn't it immensely encouraging? So many of us are here. Um, can God really bless us again? I wonder what you really think. Now, apply this into your life in terms of praying for things that are yet to materialize. Can God revive his church? When people want to talk about revival, they always talk about the past. It's a long time. Do you, do you ever think that he could do something like that again? Or do you think that we could, though we don't deserve it for sure, experience the Lord restoring in the language of Joel the years that the locusts have eaten? hard. I, I'm watering the allotment like mad. I should have a bumper crop of raspberries. They've all withered on the vine. It's not for a want of trying. It's arid. The church is a bit like that sometimes. There's so little fruit, so much going on. Here's the interesting thing on the allotment where people have been some uh, third generation and some have just given up. They said it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. And you can see in the allotment some are trying hard and there's a bit of fruit and something here and there but for the most part that's a spiritual analogy is it not of the church it's so easy they're not bad people for giving up they just said you know it's just a waste of time 
And you can't help but think, you know, uh, is praying a waste of time? Is sharing our about Jesus a waste of time? Is coming to church, is, is it? Well, clearly us being here, that's a rhetorical question. But nevertheless, you see what we're saying. Can the Lord restore the years that the locusts have eaten? eaten? Or can the Lord re- renew gospel power so that people come again to living faith? Of course, a lot of good things are happening in many parts of the world, for sure. We're trying to think about where God has placed us, or in the language of the Bible, where we live, move, and have our being. So this psalm, for sure is where we have an encounter. God's love continues to meet us in our hearts. And may I say this as an encouragement, even if our hearts are self-inflicted or not, he still loves us. He still cares for us. And he's still prepared to bless us, though we don't deserve it. And that blessing, of course, is felt much wider much wider, and the ripples of his grace extending further and further. We're going to have a, a, a brief prayer together and then hand over to Mark. Let's pray. Just to take, take a moment, we have a lot to think about. Lord, when we're most vulnerable and needy, we are also most receptive. Oftentimes we are so self-sufficient that we can go for days and even longer without even thinking about you. What a great and gracious God you are. You are truly slow to anger and abounding in love. And we really thank you And as we've seen in this psalm, a mirror of our hearts. So help us, Lord, to see the reflection of your grace and the triumph of your love and the power of the cross as it impacts our lives. Help us not to be discouraged. And give us that ability to go out into the world and to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly before you, and before one another. Lord, you've called us as a church to be a sign of hope in the world, often without hope, a healing community in a broken world. And finally, Lord, we ask you would forgive our failures of the past and create in us a clean heart, a renewed vision of hope, of love and sharing that we might indeed be a light for the nations. Bless your people here, those who are on holiday. We pray particularly for those who have needs that are acute and profound. And so, Lord, in our, in our minds, we pray for one another. Come again, Lord Jesus. We cry out to you as your people of old have done yet again. And we thank you that in your grace you hear us. You meet with us.
Do that, we pray, as we thank you afresh, and we pray for the glory of your name. Amen. It's been uh, great being together today. I've had a whole day really thinking about what it means to have a heart for the hurting. And uh, I always think one of the great purposes of Sunday, the gathering on Sunday, is Monday morning, because that is when we go out to serve the Lord. And as we've reflected tonight, and thank you, Jeff, for coming to serve us tonight, we'll all face vulnerabilities this week, won't we? We'll face personal struggles and we'll witness the struggles in others. So let's encourage each other and let's encourage those that we minister to, to be people who can pray those laments, those authentic expressions of faith, to pray honest prayers before a God who cares. And let's pray for us all too, that we would be a people who cry out regularly great expressions of praise to a God who is faithful and he will be with us always. But of course we need the grace of God to help us, don't we? So as we close our service, let's turn to one another and let's say the words of the grace, that the grace of God would be in all of us this week as we serve others. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed week.